loaded and then I realize if this thing overflows, I'm just up here. <laughs> I have no idea what that thing does. Uh, there goes the <laughs> water in the basement nightmare right there. Exactly. There's your exactly. scenario. Water in the basement. All right. Good luck doing this show with a clear head. <laughs> <laughs> I can get in the zone. I'm a pro. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the Off Balance 3. I'm Aaron Hodges, joined by Jeff Young and Brian Miller, and we got to do it right away, Jeff. Got to bust Brian's balls right here, because you're always first to connect, and you're in Hawaii. (laughs) Brian, you're in the lower 48. I don't know where the hell you are, but you're always the last one to connect. I literally connected the second I got the email, though. (laughs) I've noticed I'm always the last one up, and I'm always like, I was here. I was chilling at 630. (laughs) All right, fair enough. And you're in uh, Minneapolis. You're not in Atlanta yet. But I'm almost. still in Minneapolis for the next about 14 hours, and then I am off to the Laughing Skull Festival in Atlanta. Very nice. But the the main event, as far as location, is Jeff. Just chilling in Hawaii. What are you doing right now, you bastard? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just chilling. I'm, uh, not, I'm doing as little as humanly possible. Let's put it that way. That's it. That's 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 all you're giving us. That's it. Oh 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 no! Wait, I did I told I did tell you I was going to have you a story. Oh yeah, you know what? I watched some baseball over here. Oh my I actually, god! I I actually watched some baseball over here because everything in my life is about baseball, as you know. <laughs> I I watched I watched about two innings of uh, of an adult league baseball uh, league over here. It was awesome because it was like after two innings, it was six four, and I think there was one clean hit. <laughs> and 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 it made me feel so good because I thought. I was I was watching them like oh man I could do better than that and then and then after a while it kind of dawned on me that I probably couldn't so uh, it, then it got a little depressing and I left. <laughs> That's what I'm doing in Hawaii. You get existential <laughs> in Hawaii. Hey, he's watching amateur baseball in Hawaii. It's, it's amazing your dedication to the game. Well, you know that's between bars, so it goes without saying. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know. I was expecting maybe like some quad excursion to a volcano or something remotely close to that but i guess you're not uh, even touching it no man we don't we don't do that we're just seriously it's it's like a family trip so we're just hanging out visiting people we we're like it's like at home except you're in hawaii sounds amazing well it is <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not complaining i'm totally i seriously my typical day here I get up around like six in the morning, go for about a 20 minute walk to get some coffee, some like really good coffee, and then go grab a nice breakfast. And then the first brewery opens at 11 a.m. So we go hang out there for a while. And then, you know, we just like drink beer until about two or three and then grab some lunch. And then then we do family stuff all afternoon and evening. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. So you're lit by the time you get to the family stuff is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. In my comfort zone. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> in my comfort zone. It's very diplomatic. Your so your comfort zone is like a point one two. Measurable comfort zone. They have the machine. I'm drinking some whiskey now, trying to get to that zone. <laughs> That's a good place to be. No doubt. Speaking of you know luxuriating in baseball, you wrote this piece recently on CrookedScoreboard.com about. A rare occasion, but you were you were invited to a luxury suite. I found it really fascinating the way you described how it took away from experiencing the the actual game. Can you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, the company I was working for at the time uh, had a had a luxury suite, and um, periodically 
uh, different teams within uh, different departments within the company would get to go and use that suite. And um, uh, one time, our the, the team, I, the department I worked for, got the tickets, and we went. And I honestly have no idea what happened in the game because the suite itself was so amazing. Um, and I, you know, I watch baseball. I don't know, 100, 200 games a year, depending on how many teams I'm following at any given time. So I figured, well, I, I got there, and I'm I'm not going to waste my time watching a ball game when I'm literally doing that every other day of my life. <laughs> And and they've got this incredible spread with like like you know meats and cheeses and fruits and and um, craft beer and I mean it and it, the kind of the funny thing is that everybody I was working with they all they they knew you know that I write about baseball how how much into it I am and they they kept you know trying to pick my brain for information and I'm just like ah hey, leave me alone I'm eating you know it was so luxurious and such a nice spread and such a nice room that I. It, you know, it would be a shame to w- waste it watching baseball. And I'm saying this not like, you know, from Brian's standpoint where anything is better than baseball, right? I'm like, like I live, breathe, whatever. I'm all about baseball. But on, on that night, it's like, yeah, I'm, I can't really be bothered with all that. Yeah, this really resonated with me because uh, I uh, really used to enjoy going to Cubs games when I lived near Wrigley. And one time through my college, me and some other we were like student ambassadors or something. Anyway, we got some tickets from the from the muckety muck uh, priests who ran uh, the college uh, to go to one of those rooftop. You know, the, the there's a few yeah. rooftops in in that overlook Wrigley. And I didn't realize. I thought, like, oh, this will be fun. I didn't realize that those are all basically the equivalent of luxury boxes. Yeah. Because the, it's like a whole package. Like when you get yeah. an admission up there, you you know you get access to the grill. I mean, there's just just giant buckets of, you know, like Amstel light and uh, lining Kugel, you know, uh, all sitting around. Right. And they were grilling uh, salmon and steaks and chicken kebabs. And it was great. But uh, we had the same experience where we uh, we had a great time, but we were all kind of hammered and we were really full. And nobody really remembered what went on at the Cubs game. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I honestly, I, I'm glad I did it once because it's, it's probably something I'll never have a chance to do again. And I would recommend if anybody, whether you like baseball or not, you should absolutely do this because it's, it's like the coolest thing ever. I mean, one of the things they did was around, I don't know, somewhere around the fifth or sixth inning, they came, they had what they called the dessert cart. And I'm sure they had a bunch of stuff in there, but one of the things they did was they had chocolate shots which was basically chalk glass, you know, uh, shot glasses made out of chocolate. Ooh, and then they what? had four different liqueurs. And I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had four different liqueurs. And I, I, if, I believe it was uh, Grand Marnier, Cointreau, Bailey's, and Kahlua. And you could pick two. <laughs> and I, it, right. I mean, exactly. I probably, I probably, knowing me, I probably took Bailey's and Cointreau. But I mean, it doesn't even matter. So you know? what do you, you take the whole like, candy so you, and, and just pop it in your mouth all yeah. in one shot? Um, I, I threw the shot and then chased it with the chocolate. <laughs> I don't know what you're supposed to do, but that's what I, <laughs> but that's what I did. But that's, but that was like the whole entire experience of this thing. It was so surreal. I mean, you know, to, to, it, it had nothing to do with baseball. None of that, that entire night and people went out, we had our private balcony with actual seats in it. You could go and, you know, the spread had things like hamburgers and hot dogs. You could grab those and go outside and watch the game, or you could sit inside and, you know, have prosciutto and Havarti and grapes and craft beer. And, you know, I was like, ah, I'd just rather hang out and talk to people. The only experience that I had was one time I went to uh, 
the Knicks. It was a preseason game, but uh, my wife's friend had some kind of corporate tickets. They're four rows back from the court, and it was so close. And Mm -hmm. then you just walk up an alley, and they have freaking lobster. They're serving lobster at a basketball game. (laughs) So I'm eating lobster and shrimp cocktail and all this decadent food. It's it's the only time that I left my seat for food during uh, a sporting event. But it, as far as like even reading your piece on the website, it seems like such an interesting role reversal because the people that are used to being in the luxury suite, they're sitting there and they're pretending to care about and be knowledgeable about baseball. And you, the baseball writer, you're sitting there <laughs> pretending like you're used to this kind of uh, food <laughs> and, and this treatment oh. at a baseball game. Oh, man, I, w- I was so fascinated by it. It was just like... Wow, people actually do this. Okay, and hey, now I'm one of them. And, and so it was kind of, you know, it was like, it was it was pretty awesome because I know, you know, there the thing that gets me is there's people who presumably do this stuff. I don't know a lot, <laughs> and and it kind of blows my mind because the thing about that experience is it was it, it was unique in the sense of you know who lives like that. But the fascinating thing about it was. It didn't have to be at a baseball game. It didn't have to be at a football game. It didn't have to be at a sporting event at all. It could have been just some, some like really fancy, exclusive private club where you were getting served amazing stuff in in this amazing space and just hanging out and talking to people. It was just, yeah, bizarre. Gives you a new appreciation for the steely determination of Robert Kraft. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting up there, undistracted by the lobster, focused on Tommy, making yeah. sure the game goes well. Yeah, well, and just the 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 plight of rich people everywhere. It's just it's just tragic. <laughs> the thing though, that those so to those guys, they are focused on the game. You know, old Jared Jones yeah. and those. So so now imagine they have to be so used to just walking past trays of lobster that it no longer distracts them in oh any God. way. Can you imagine? See, isn't isn't that amazing? Like how 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 you would even become desensitized to that environment? Yeah, I would love to try. It sounds great, doesn't it? Right. So I, then, what do you do to actually then have an opulent party? I mean, that's that's why that's how rich guys wind up hunting homeless guys for sport or whatever. You know, you just you keep up in the ante until there's nowhere to go but the extremes. All these options are available to them. They just get bored. The most dangerous game, you know. It's at yeah. some point you need a little some stakes. Just uh, throw a thunderbird per thunderbird party back behind the dumpster or something right (laughs) (laughs) careful what you say about doing things behind a dumpster this week no (laughs) Uh, Uh. sorry to take it there sometimes being a professional comedian is knowing what jokes not to make yeah yeah that's true that's true that's why i'm still an open micer right across that topic just (laughs) woo. (laughs) <laughs> ah, all right. Before we jump into the all ball or flagrant foul, I want to throw something at you guys. It's kind of um, a societal issue here. Being nice to your neighbor. And Brian, maybe you won't appreciate this yet, but you will. Oh, you know what? We've met all our neighbors, and I'm I'm, in, I'm into the whole befriend the neighbors thing. We have cool neighbors. Good for you. I, I yeah. My, so far, my neighbors. I'm not. I'm not so sure about them. I'm not so sure. And we've been here for about. Uh, three, four years now. It's mostly people with uh, kids and families. So we're like uh, the only young couple with no kids on the block. Uh, That's kind of what we are, but I'm down with that. Yeah, but like uh, the one couple right next to us, I feel like we should hang, but we don't. 
and uh, I don't know if it's actually I do know. I hate them. And I think the feeling is mutual, but uh, we keep it cordial and just you know keep the conversation to a minimum. Here's my question though, and this is what the one neighbor is very guilty of: doing the landscaping that requires a a, a motor mm-hmm. early in the morning. What are your feelings? Is there a, an unspoken rule? as far as what time is acceptable to start that type of landscaping? Yes, but the problem is there's like a gray zone that exists between 8 and 9 a.m. Depending on how much of a go-getter you are and a morning person, 8 o'clock is either totally reasonable or completely unreasonable. Like pre-8 a.m., it's like no question. Post-9 a.m., you can't really complain too much. But that's where you get the trick. The guy starts it up at 8.30 and you're going, come on. Yeah. Exactly. And that's right in the zone where he's floating. And I'm just like, you know, this is a problem, right? Like you, you, uh, me personally, I would never do it honestly before 10 or 11, just or later than five, just out of courtesy, because it's not that hard. The later than five, it was almost a problem here. They were landscaping right outside my window. Here's a salient question. Yeah. What do you think you do that most annoys your neighbors? That's a good question. I mean, I, I guess I, I lack the self-awareness to really tell you what I do. I, I, bet, <laughs> I bet it has something to do with... Um, <laughs> so when one of your nightmares, Brian, is having um, water in your basement, I experienced right. that. We had a pipe burst and we had uh, the basement and kitchen completely gutted. And we had this old... Doc, you told me about this, by the way. Yeah, when... yeah. It's, oh, flooded a hotel room, and we were watching water cascade down through the ceiling of a hotel room. Oh, right. Said, oh, Aaron had this happen in his basement. Yeah. <laughs> so we had all this wood paneling in the basement, 70s wood paneling, and even the side that of the basement that, that wasn't affected, I just took the opportunity, took all the wood paneling out, and uh, I, I didn't get rid of it. I kind of just stacked it up in the backyard and used it for the fire pit that's outside. I bet well, I bet that's kind of unsightly idea. and that annoys them. It's kind of a redneck firewood situation. I'll it give is, you that. Right? You're, yeah, that's not too bad. But then just to counter that, he runs a sprinkler in his backyard and it's a good ten feet in my property, the stream. Well, aren't you getting free water? No, he's he's <laughs> he's wetting my firewood. Oh, he's wetting your firewood. Oh, psychological mm. warfare. Right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, Jeff. You what set his sprinkler on fire, if, uh, oh. if I understand karma. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a battle I'm determined to win. Do you have any problems with your neighbors like that, Jeff? Um, uh, I, uh, I think probably the worst thing I have is uh, well, I have one neighbor who um, supports a, a certain overtly racist presidential candidate, but that's um, probably about it. No, you know what? I, I think uh, we, we're like, we're, we're like the kind of people that uh, if, if some serious stuff goes down, just for the record, if some serious stuff goes down, they'll be like, oh, they always seem so quiet. Um, <laughs> so, so, so we're like those guys, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, every, everything else is pretty chill for the most part. As a renter, I never really cared about neighbors. It just never, I mean, whatever. I would just never really talk to them. But I think 
now that like you you're kind of in it when you own a house and there's people next to you who also own a house you do have a sudden this common interest and so suddenly it's like i really appreciate like uh like the united nation or something it's very diplomatic you see no one wants to not get along and we're gonna have to do some stuff together sometimes if the city gets weird and so it's it's definitely a different vibe where it's like i feel like everyone at least in this neighborhood is very uh probably just very friendly but also we're all you know we're all aware of our shared <laughs> our shared that's, interests. That's actually very cool. We're probably really bad neighbors that way because we, we sort of keep to ourselves a lot. That's just kind of our nature. No, my nature is to not talk to anyone who's not on the other end of a microphone. <laughs> right, <laughs> if, I'm not, yeah, right. if I'm not on a microphone, I'm usually not speaking to anyone but my wife. That's kind and of me so, too, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to force myself to be less like that. Like I got a haircut today and everyone else was chatting with their lady and I was just like, I was determined to not. Right. talk for some reason so i gotta stop that yeah i try to be more sociable and i think that's kind of also what adds to the friction between me and the neighbors that i wish we would hang because i've i've invited them we've had some barbecues i've invited them so many times and they never come over so after a while i start to look at that and say what is it what are it's personal what did i do you know Did they I mean? ever invite you? <laughs> no. Did they ever invite you over no well I, I, that, I, I, see, I, that's I, bad I, diplomacy right there i, I, I agree you are an aggrieved party Thank you. Yeah. I'm not going to figure it out tonight. I grew up on a block where everybody knew each other, and it's just so much different now, where nobody really talks to each other. I don't, I don't know anybody beyond, like, three houses, you know, down the street. It's crazy. No, it's a big social shift, and I, uh, I'm try- I, would, I would like to go the other direction with it a little bit, even though I'm not in- instinctively inclined to. Constant battle, though, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just, yeah, you just kept it, you know, if you just smile at people and say hello, it's like, it's surprising. It's like everyone's just waiting for somebody to break the ice. You just have to be that guy. Yeah. I have to shift into post-show comedy mode. That's when I'm at my most H&R Block sales representative-y. When I'm standing out, you know, just, just glad handing the folks after the show, trying to be friendly. But isn't it so much easier in that moment because you've already given so much to these people? You've given your part. You made them laugh. They listened. Oh, they were a gracious audience. It's almost always much worse because you usually have the most devastating things said to you in those moments. Almost always intended as compliments. Last night, actually, I was running my festival set and I crushed it at Acme and I was feeling pretty darn good about myself. And I saw somebody I work with uh, at a newspaper and she said, oh, my boyfriend's been thinking about trying this too. I think you should keep it up. <laughs> it's my oh. job. <laughs> oh. oh, man. You get a lot of that type of stuff. Well, I think it's that's just because you have a baby face and people think you're really young. Yeah, I suppose. I'll, that's a nice way of putting it. I'll, I'll, I'll take it that way. That's the, that's the way I'm going to spin it. <laughs> Keep yeah. it up. Keep it up. That's the worst thing you can say to anyone in the entertainment business. Just, can you imagine if you're like, like, what do you do? Like, oh, I'm a U.S. attorney. Uh, you know, I argue uh, I argue and interpret laws for the state. Oh, you should, you should keep that up. That might go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no respect for your profession, Brian. None. None. I mean, there probably shouldn't be, to be honest. Well, <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit later as far as uh, comedians and, and jokes. There was a, a Twitter battle that we have to hash out a little bit later. But uh, let's let's get into all ball or flag or foul right now. I'll kick it off. J.R. Smith of the Cleveland Cavaliers is crowdfunding a reality TV show in the midst of the NBA Finals right now. So he started a Kickstarter. To produce this reality show that I guess they've already filmed a little bit of it, but they're asking for support 
to continue to make it and I guess uh, pitch it to wherever they have to pitch it. So uh, it's pretty simple. An NBA player that's made millions is asking for crowdfunding for a side business. Is this all ball or flagrant foul, Jeff? Uh, flagrant foul. Uh, first of all, yeah, you don't really need the money for that. You, if, if you're going to go ahead and produce something like that, you know, dip into your own funds. Um, second of all, maybe wait till you finish losing the finals. <laughs> <laughs> Out of respect. Um, right. At least make it look like you're paying attention to the games. I don't see any way to put a positive spin on it. I'm, I'm going flagrant foul. What about you, Brad? Yeah, same here. It's, uh, uh, I guess I'm old fashioned. I get tired of everyone being so, so worried about their brand all the time. You know, it's what's so like exasperating about Russell Wilson. It's like, do you ever go 20 minutes and not think about your brand? <laughs> and I know that's what you're supposed to do. And, uh, I suppose that's why my brand is weak. That's... Keep it up though. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else take it away. Oh, I, I got, I got, I got the most literal all ball in the history of the segment so far. <laughs> I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Some news came out. Phil Jackson and and confirmed by another player said that, that Shaq, our friend Shaquille O'Neal, which by the way, when I went to type Shaq into my phone, my phone auto corrected it to Shaquille. What? Yeah, oh. as though my phone is his mother and insists on calling him by his full name. Shaquille has a, a a good sense of humor. Not surprising. Always seems like a, a delightful fella. Um, but apparently one of Shaq's favorite jokes to play on his teammates was to come out and practice wearing nothing but sneakers. Aaron, all baller flagrant foul. Uh, well, okay, so this we're gonna learn. This is like the Rorschach test of all all baller flagrant fouls. By the way, this is this says nothing about Shaq. This only says stuff about us. It's how, how we reacted. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I, I'm wrestling with it because in that article, it also mentioned that he would uh, challenge his teammates to naked Brazilian wrestling as well. <laughs> so as far as the the wearing nothing but sneakers onto the court, I'm gonna go ahead and say that that's. All ball, it's funny, but it comes to a point, and that point is naked Brazilian wrestling. Especially when you're a man of Shaq's size and stature, his schlong is as big as my forearm, I guarantee. And you're making everyone very insecure. You want to talk about alpha males. There's no better way to show your superiority than be a seven-foot, 400-pound man with a giant dick and challenge people to wrestling. So... Uh, in that sense, flagrant foul. So I'm torn between all ball and flagrant foul. I can't call it. Yeah, I, 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 this definitely smacks of like a joke that's really intended to be a, a braggadocio. You know, it'd be like if Ken Jennings is like, let's let's have a laugh and play Trivial Pursuit. You're like, come on, Ken Jennings, you want enough Jeopardy? We all know how big your Jeopardy dick is. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, it's right. And, and just imagine how terrifying a naked Shaquille O'Neal would be. Just. He's so huge. He was dating a reality star not too long ago, and she was very tiny, and I just can't imagine how that would ever work. It, that's, it just blows my mind. Two words, running, start. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Jeff? All ball or flagrant foul? Well, I think, I, I think literally it is all ball. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it reminds me, the, the Padres used to have a, an outfielder named Brian Giles who was famous for this sort of thing he he would he would run around basically 
you know, in the middle of team meetings or whatever, he would just show up naked and he'd run around and start tackling people and, and just, you know, basically those kind of shenanigans. And it was, it didn't, maybe it's part of the personality, but for, for like him, it was more of, uh, it wasn't so much of being an alpha as he was just a really weird guy. Um, (laughs) So in in that sense, it was, and, 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 you know, definitely you heard his teammates talk about it and some of them were, were very uncomfortable with it, which I thought was hilarious because I mean, it's just, I don't know. I I like it when people are uncomfortable. (laughs) Other people are uncomfortable, not myself so much. Um, So I think, uh, you know, in in Shaq's case, I'd say all ball. I think that's pretty funny. In an unexpected way. And I do like comedy nudity myself. I've I've been a fan and I have indulged in more than my share of comedy nudity in my uh, younger days. But I do think there is some truth, kind of what Aaron was saying, is like, if a guy challenges you to a kicking contest, you can be damn sure he's got big calves. You know, like the guy with little calves don't challenge it to the kicking contest. So, yeah, do with it as you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got one for us, Jeff? Yeah. So uh, mine is the, uh, uh, I guess, within the last week or so, going back to the Padres, one of the owners, Ron Fowler, basically called out the entire team for stinking, which <laughs> is true. But uh, he he basically ripped the entire team and he called out one of the players in particular, uh, James Shields, who had been pitching pretty well. Uh, it was a high profile free agent signing the biggest, the most money they'd ever spent on a free agent in team history. And he, he's, he's a good pitcher, not a great pitcher, but he'd been doing pretty well. And he had one bad outing and they lost like 16 to four to the Mariners. And so in the process of ripping his whole team, a new one, Fowler also ripped, uh, singled out James Shields for having one bad start. And, uh, and like two days later, Shields got traded to the White Sox. <laughs> so, um, uh, that sequence of events uh, of, a, of a team owner publicly ripping one of the players and then, and then that having that player disappeared, uh, is that all ball or flagrant foul Brian? Hmm. As a fan of the late Pablo Escobar, I'm inclined <laughs> to say there's something all ball to it. Big fan, big uh, fan. Uh, big fan of sports. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna say flagrant foul because I don't like when people do their uh, their their business in public like that. I'm not a big fan of the public shaming. I don't. I mean, I like the guy. I'm fine with the guy who will take it on him. Say, hey, it was my fault, or you know, it's a team effort. I mean, I, sometimes that's athlete cliches, but I think that's an important attitude to have. And uh, I don't. I don't like uh, the airing of the dirty laundry in public. Even you know, I, I don't even really find that sort of thing amusing. All that Rex and Rob Ryan BS. Them flapping their gums all the time, I find sort of exasperating rather than like funny actual interactions. Or you know, hey, if you want to slap Jim Schwartz or Jim Harbaugh on the back and start a fight in the half in the midfield, that I'm down for. But don't just talk about each other. Blah, flagrant foul. <laughs> uh, how about uh, you, Aaron? Yeah. Uh, well, I have to ask you: Is there some kind of history of this owner acting as a GM almost in a Jerry Jones-like fashion? You know, his deal. Not really. He's been owner of the team for about three or four years now, I guess. His main thing is he comes off more as a, uh, as like a big fan who probably shouldn't talk to the media. A little Mark Cuban-esque in a way? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. He doesn't seem to be aware of his status. It's a little weird. Does he seem like the type of guy that would lean on the GM and force him to make personnel decisions like this? I don't think so. No, okay. No, I don't help. Huh. <laughs> Huh. I, he was on no. the fence before, you know. Well, uh, I don't know. I did read something in that article that stood out to me, and I said, 
Hmm. I mean, uh, what, what's the guy's name again? The the pitcher? Shield. James Shields. James Shields. He was talking about yeah. how he gives it all to his team. He busts his butt for the team every fifth day. And that's where I stopped. And I thought, oh, every fifth day, you bust your butt. So I support fair and equal pay on Tuesdays. <laughs> You're like, whoa, well, wait, what? Seems well, like well, uh, he is a start. Yeah. Well, yeah, he is a starting pitcher, so he only gets the ball every fifth day. So that's it. Just sounds bad. I, mean, I get like, that. I mean, I can hard those other four days. I get no, that. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, no, I, it does have interesting implications, but okay. That just led me to think that there must be some kind of uh, feeling of entitlement, and maybe he was a problem a little bit in the locker room. Maybe he butted heads previously in the past with his owner. It's weird that the owner would single him out, and then he would be traded immediately after. But I, I don't mind. I'm saying all ball for the public all right, comments. All right. all right, that's fair. Yeah, I, I myself would go uh, flagrant foul on that. Um, mainly, I, I think actually uh, Fowler was, not, it wasn't so bad for him to rip the team publicly because they were playing really badly. Um, at the same time, he hired all the people that were uh, responsible for making the decisions that got them to this point. And, um, you know, if you're going to be, singling out the guys that you signed uh, as a free agent, then maybe you want to take some of that responsibility on yourself and, and realize, hey, maybe it wasn't such a great idea to go and get a bunch of old guys who aren't really that good anymore. Maybe if we had done something other than what we actually did, we wouldn't be in this predicament where I would be so frustrated by the fact that we're losing that I would have to lash out at one of the guys that I went out and paid money for. I appreciate the fact that he's passionate about his team and about the game and about winning, even, you know, ripping the team a little bit or at least trying to light a fire under their butt. Fine. But, you know, it would be nice to see a little bit of accountability there. I will say this, though. It's a mistake to trash the guy before trading him. You devalue him. Trash him after you trade him. That's the move. Exactly. Mm, Capitalist logic. I like that. There you go. (laughs) I, I like this one. This one uh, ties into another cultural thing. I don't know if you guys saw this one around. The, the NFL got hacked, and the hacker who hacked the NFL's Twitter account reported the death of Roger Goodell, the <laughs> NFL commissioner. And the yesterday, the Tenacious D account got hacked, and they announced the death of Jack Black. <laughs> oh, jeez. So uh, I don't know if it's the same culprit, but uh, all ball flagrant foul. We'll leave Jack Black out of it for now. I don't want to muddy the waters. Okay. <laughs> Announcing the fake death of Roger Goodell. All ball or flagrant foul. Jeff? Flagrant foul on the announcement, just because I'm I'm not down with the hacking. Uh, that's just kind of not cool. I did like Goodell's response, though. Uh, and I, I forget exactly what it said, but it was something to the effect of, leave the job for one day and uh, your own network tries to kill you off. I thought that was pretty <laughs> funny. But, uh, but, the, but the hack itself, no. Flagrant foul. Aaron? Well, again, I'm going to indirectly answer this and I divert from the original premise. Uh, I'm just going to say flagrant foul on Roger Goodell's response. <laughs> yes, he made a joke, but he had to name drop Jim Kelly to make it completely uh, untouchable and make the joke uh, a, a Teflon joke. Uh, I mean, flagrant foul, you don't need the name drop. It was un- unnecessary within the joke. Flagrant foul on Roger Goodell. As far as the hack's concerned... <laughs> I'll just say all ball. Anytime you can poke fun and give the NFL a fit, I'm for it. I'm going to go flagrant foul because I think in the Twitter age, the death hoax is kind of the equivalent of like uh, having a a whoopee cushion at an irritable bowel syndrome clinic or something. It's like, 
it's so easy to do. There's there's nothing to it. It's easy to trick everybody. You know, it's sort of a sort of a lame gag. Like back in the day when you could report Ava Vagoda was dead and it would take two months for the media to catch him and realize he wasn't, it was funny. But now it's just kind of the equivalent of uh, pulling somebody's chair off from behind him. As Jerry Seinfeld says in the uh, episode where he is angry that Tim Watley has converted to Judaism. No, it offends me as a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll agree with you. It's the easy joke. So I'll call all ball. They could have executed it much better. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds yeah. me, you know, people who don't understand what jokes are, and they're like, dude, we just won $500,000 in the lottery. And you're like, you did? And like, psych, no, we didn't. I got you. That's a funny joke. And like, no, you just <laughs> lied. And then I, I believed you. And then, and then you lied. That's all that was. That's not a joke. <laughs> well, that's a great segue into our next segment. We were talking about what makes a joke a joke and what's funny because how a bill becomes a law. We should do a schoolhouse rock for what makes a joke a joke. <laughs> you gotta have a premise and a rising action. Put the best word last. I'm, I'm, I'm spitballing here. That's pretty good though. <laughs> so I wanted to bring in Mike Simpson, who's a contributor to CrookedScoreboard.com, because it, me and him got into it a little bit on Twitter over a joke from Larry the Cable Guy. All right, the much-awaited Larry the Cable Guy dispute. Let's hear it. Let me try to set this thing up a little bit. Here's the deal. I'm on Twitter. I follow Larry the Cable Guy on Twitter, and Larry the Cable Guy... That's the part that doesn't make any sense, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we just talk about that? Uh, okay, let's let's talk about it. Tell me where I went wrong. I, I mean, I think you said out loud where you went wrong. I don't understand... You know, we're, you know, we're all going to die, right? We all have so many seconds in our lives, right? Um, the universe isn't like an infinite place for us, even though we might want to believe it is. And you, at some point in time in your life, press down on a button that will let you follow Larry the Cable Guy on Twitter. Explain that moment to me. Walk me through that moment where you're like, I am, I'm a god of existence. So I'm going to follow label the cable, Larry the Cable Guy on Twitter. Well, I mean, I never made any claim to be a god of existence. Uh, I'm but... saying you, you must think you're not going to die is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You came for a fight, and that's that's fine. I, I, I wasn't expecting, but uh, all right. Well, I don't know. I mean, I so what was the joke? I got to hear the joke. What yeah. did you retweet? Well, let me just explain. I, I follow a lot of people uh, on Twitter. Larry the Cable Guy is a comedian. I work in the comedy department at SiriusXM, where we work with comedians. I don't work directly with Larry, but sure. my coworkers do, and he mm -hmm. treats them very nicely. He's not my favorite comedian. But he is a very good and successful comedian. That's why I follow Larry on Twitter. Now, here's the joke that I retweeted. Okay. My buddy got ripped off in a Fonzie scheme. He loaned Henry Winkler 300 bucks and hadn't seen him since. So that's the joke I retweeted. Oof. I wanted to support you, but uh... <laughs> there's an interesting joke premise in there. Right, uh, right. Okay. Just uh, Andy Kindler retweeted one of my tweets a bit ago when we were making fun of somebody who said Social Security was a Ponzi scheme, some politician, and uh, I my my joke was a uh, um, uh, Henry uh, Henry Henry Winkler says jukeboxes are a Ponzi scheme because the jukebox <laughs> never worked. You see, right, right. A more with a little fewer words. Uh, I will say in Larry the Cable Guy's defense, I think he's got some good jokes. I don't know if he writes them himself or if someone writes them for him at this point. But uh, I think the snobbery over his southernness does, and admittedly his willingness to go for some super low-hanging fruit, sometimes overshadows the fact that he's got 
a lot better jokes than a lot of other people who are regarded more highly. Yeah. So I, let me ask you. Let me ask you. Ask you guys a question. I, I don't know you guys, and I, I don't know your background particularly well. Of the three of you, professional comedian. I was going to say, of the three, <laughs> how many of you? How many of you are professionally uh, employed in the the comedic industry? Me. I guess me. <laughs> I don't do comedy professionally, but I work the in the comedy industry. My question is this: Is there an implicit? some kind of sort of implicit agreement that you will, if a joke is made out loud and put into the ether, is there some sort of comedy agreement that you will all at least chuckle out loud at it? No. <laughs> Do you feel obligated? Let's say, let's say you're sitting- Quite the opposite. Let's say you're sitting in a room of, of comedians and you're writing a bit or you're writing a skit or you're writing, I don't know, uh, some sitcom that nobody's gonna buy. Do you feel obligated as people walk their way through their jokes to sort of laugh out loud, even if it's terrible? Nope. Never, never one time. I would never lie about something being funny. Yeah, in, in fact, I, I think I'm probably more particular than most people. Mm -hmm. So there's no sort of ethical binding here in terms of like, I'm just going to laugh. Well, sure. There's situations where, you know, you <laughs> give somebody some polite laughter. You want to put your buddy over. Of course, there, there's right. situations that occur where that might happen. Okay. All right. So there's no like... Um, there, there's no way that you entered into this tweet with some sort of feeling of like, my gosh, this somebody just said this out loud. I'm just going to I'm going to give it a retweet so we can all move on. <laughs> well, consider the source, right? Larry the cable guy is yeah. a, a lovable dum-dum. And this tweet kind of personifies that. In He's a very nice hardworking guy. Super hardworking guy. In okay, real he life, got for right. years. In, he got it for years and every morning he would call in to all these radio shows and do these different characters. And that's how he developed a fan base was for free gratis, as they say in Deadwood, um, calling into these shows for years and, and cultivating a fan base like that, which is incredibly painstaking work that 95% of comedians are far too lazy to do. Because right. it requires you to not be uh, uh, getting drunk until 4 a.m. and then sleeping until 4 p.m. <laughs> I respect anyone's hustle when it's genuine. Okay. Okay. But that that tweet is terrible. Oh come on! <laughs> come on! All right. So let me take it. Let me let me walk you. Fine. It's fine. It's clear. I'm not going to win this battle. But let me just at least take you through the timeline here. Mike tweets. Someone in my timeline actually retweeted Larry the Cable Guy, and I didn't know because he didn't mention me or anybody in it. But then the the guys at the Crooked Scoreboard, whoever's controlling the Twitter stirs the pot a little bit and cc's mike and me <laughs> yep. on the twitter yep. with a screenshot of the picture and so i'm like uh, well come on come on that's a good joke and how dare you subtweet me and uh and then mike <laughs> says uh something like he was trying to protect me from me just uh, <laughs> fair enough and then dustin the editor-in-chief of crookedscoreboard.com he jumps in there he offers his two cents and says this word sounds like this other word is barely even a joke. <laughs> yeah, he's not wrong about that. <laughs> I mean, I was astounded that these two are bigger comedy snobs than I am. Yeah, yeah, it's a it was it's a tough crowd from from a guy like me with my 119 to 20 followers depending on how many porn stars are following me on any given moment. Yeah, we're we're pretty critical people, for sure. I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I so wanted to defend you, Aaron. I really did. I came into this like so confident in my position, and then you just then you read the joke, yeah. <laughs> and I, my whole my now I'm just my defense crumbled. I feel like uh, I feel like what Christopher Darden must have felt like when he watched OJ trying to yank that glove on. He's like, nope, evidence killed us. We're done. <laughs> I mean, I still stand by it. It made me chuckle. 
So if the pun don't fit, you must acquit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I stand by it. I'm not. I'm not backing down. Larry the Cable Guy. All right in my book. Plus, I, I like you. Know what? I like your willingness to stand up for your terrible opinion, though. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> it's brave and misguided, but brave. <laughs> Jeff, you're awfully quiet here. Uh, yes. <laughs> Excellent observation. Still savoring the richness of the tweet. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Mike, I mean, what's the biggest problem here? Is it because it came from Larry the Cable Guy? Or is it the quality of the joke? Is it the whole thing? Can we go ahead and read the the next tweet that he had? Can we do that? Uh, I have to do some digging. No, I, I can do it for you. Don't worry. I'm prepared. <laughs> uh, <laughs> lawyer up on this. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not going to do his voice because he's really he spent a long time cultivating a, a character there. Um, wisdom from my grandpa. If the myth were true about the size of a man's shoe, then all the hot chicks would be dating circus clowns. <laughs> Come on, that doesn't make you chuckle a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I like the setup, and then it goes too easy at the end. Oh, just it's just it's that that's the kind of thing I think that my dad would say to me, and then stare at me for a while and wait for me to laugh, and I'd eventually start laughing because you know. Sure, Dad. Fine. The, the punchline should be then all guys would buy Magnum shoes. <laughs> we're gonna give edits. Is that how we're gonna do this? <laughs> yeah, I'm punching them up. I'm a pro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <Not laughs> you seem stuff. dubious, but I am. I swear. <laughs> Someone told him to keep it up recently. Yeah. <laughs> keep going. Shattered ever since. <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's fine. We're not gonna agree. Larry the Cable Guy. I I get Agreed it. Disagree. He's the kind of guy who really likes an exclamation point. My gosh, does he use exclamation points? They are all over the place here. Now you're speaking my language. That's something we yeah. can agree on, the overuse of exclamation points. That's some trashy stuff as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> we can just shift a little bit to you. Um, since I clearly lost this battle, that's fine. I know when to walk away. You wrote a piece about Muhammad Ali recently. That was a bit more serious than a Larry the Cable Guy tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a two-tool guy. I really enjoyed it, especially the part where you talked about how his legacy is actually a failure to America. Can you explain that? what you mean by that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's been interesting for the last week watching people talk about how, we, you know, how we're going to frame Muhammad Ali. 80% of the things out there about Muhammad Ali are, are basically boilerplate articles about you know, he was a he was a controversial figure and, uh, you know, very brave. And he decided not to join the military. And then he got Parkinson's and now he's a hero. I don't disagree with with any part of that assessment of Muhammad Ali. But I think what's really complicated is if, if we're going to say that we believe that these people are our heroes. And if we're going to say that we believe that these heroes of ours have, have legacies, then that legacy should probably either amount to something or affect us in some measurable way, I think. And I think that if you look at the current state of the sort of geopolitical conditions that 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 describe our country in 2016, it, it's hard to say that this is what Muhammad Ali leaves behind. It's, it's hard to say, for example, you know, one of the points I was trying to make is that it, that if an, if an African-American athlete today says exactly what Muhammad Ali said in, in 1964, he would be absolutely destroyed on the internet and on, on TV. And we would have a, a number of different ways that we could shatter that, that guy's career. And so if, if we can't even talk like Muhammad Ali 50 years later, and if we see significant, if not worse, issues in terms of race and, and civil rights, um, it's hard to really assess Muhammad Ali's legacy, I think, in a positive way. And so the only, the only thing that I could come to was 
that at some level, the legacy is, is one of our, our shared failure. So, well, Mike, I think I speak for all of us when I say, get her done. Yeah, that's right. There. <laughs> I took a bunch of Pramasek uh, OTC and I felt a lot better afterwards. Sorry, I think I cut out there for a second. Sorry. Yes, you did. You missed my, you missed my grand exit. I got to go. I'm um, booked on a show, so I got to go bounce and go do some comedies. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can wrap it up. Oh, that's fine. You guys can stick around. You don't have to. I'm not okay. taking the ball or anything. <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> I don't want to take. I don't want to take any more shit for my Larry the Cable guy retweet. <laughs> I didn't even write the joke for Christ's sake. Some asshole came on for like five minutes and ruined it for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mike. Uh, genuinely, thank you. It was no, fun. I always super did. interesting. That, that Muhammad Ali article is very interesting. Everybody should definitely go check that out. I like that a lot. It is. Yeah, it's just kind of a, an interesting take, and there's no shortage of of takes on what the Muhammad Ali meant to the sporting world and our world in general and i think this was at least a a, a unique take on that and you know it's it's kind of introspective it makes you look inward and say well why was he so special have we accomplished anything or built on his legacy at all or is it just this thing that just stands out in a moment in time so i, I think that's what you were getting at right mike yeah i just think you know in general if, if you're going to say somebody's your hero then you should probably listen to him right Agreed. Mm-hmm. That's why well I got to go listen to some Larry yep. the Cable guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, leave a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Mike, thanks again for joining us real quick. And uh, Thank you. Jeff, do you want to get your plugs out and Brian as well? Uh, yeah, I'm at underscore Jeff Young on Twitter. And you can find my baseball writing on crookedscoreboard.com. And real Brian Miller for me on Twitter and uh, BrianMillerComedy.com on uh, the internet. And where can we find your comedy critiques, Mike? <laughs> uh, HF Mike on the Twitters. I appreciate it. I'm Matt Aaron Hodges, and we'll talk to you guys again next week. It's time for some song singing. What do you say? Get it in. Let me just plug my cord in I got right up here. And we gonna make some beautiful music together. Hope you like this song here. <laughs> Hope you like this song here. This is very special to me, so we gonna sing it here today. I'll never forget the words my daddy told me before he passed away. What the hell? Let me come back to that one, all right? <laughs>